because a lot of times people be in like quote unquote boring relationships and then try to and then they leave those for something that's more chaotic because they feel like that's where more passion and more you're fighting for love. Where really you're just arguing and yelling and getting nothing done. My my father used to be so jealous. Like if my mother went to the grocery store and it took her an hour and a half. And- yeah. uh, I lay on the scare, you gotta glow, you gotta glow. You gotta glow. She had my attention, she gotta know. I'd like to welcome everyone to another episode of the Let's Gather podcast. I'm your host, Zeke. In this episode, I have Rick Darkerty to discuss domestic abuse. You can find more information about Rick Darkerty by clicking the link in the description below. I'll leave the content one and finish trying to use an episode and hope you guys day and enjoy the show. So, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for wanting to be a guest. I'll give you the floor to introduce yourself to the audience. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Rick Doherty, and back in June of this year, I walked Ireland's National Famine Way as a way to raise money and now awareness in the fight against domestic violence. I had initially set out to walk a completely different trail, but in the first week of that trail, I was climbing up the side of a mountain and I suffered a pretty substantial knee injury actually re-aggravated a knee injury that I had had in the past. And I was on the side of a mountain in Ireland, thousands of miles away from my home. And I had to do some real soul searching really quickly to try to figure out how I was going to try to salvage this trip. And three days later, I was in a completely different part of the country and starting a brand new pilgrimage. So instead of walking south to north, I was walking east to west on the National Famine Way, and I was able to salvage everything. So that is sort of what we're going to be talking about most on the podcast here. But to introduce myself in a little broader aspect, I have worked in broadcasting, specifically radio broadcasting, for 25 years since I was 16 years old, please nobody do the math. And um, I have done that in various capacities, including uh, sports radio. I've also worked for a number of professional sports teams over the course of my life and gathering that I walked for domestic violence. I am a domestic violence survivor in terms of I grew up in an abusive household. And that is why I have dedicated so much of my adult life to this particular issue. A lot and very honorable stuff. Well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> so what is the Ireland Famine Way? For those the, Ireland, the Ireland Famine Way is actually a route that traces how survivors of the famine actually escaped. So for people who don't know the history of the great potato famine in Ireland, just a very brief explanation. It was really, really bad in the Western part of the country in the more rural parts of the country. It really didn't hit 
cities like Dublin and Belfast and some of those cities on the eastern part of the island as much. But it was those rural areas in the west where people had to flee. And that's why there are so many Irish people in Australia, in places like Liverpool, England, and of course, here in the United States where I live. And they had to just leave their houses and walk to Dublin to get on boats and go all around the world and try to find a safe place to live. So this was essentially the route that people took. It starts in Strokestown in the western part of Ireland. There's actually a famine museum there, and that's where this particular trail starts. But then it goes along the Royal Canal, which so many thousands, unknown really, because so many passed on the journey and so many didn't have great records in the first place. And this was the route that many of them used. And this wasn't the course that I originally was going to take. Like I said, I was going to do a completely different trail, but I found it more symbolic than the other trail because it's two completely different situations. But when you consider domestic violence and survivors having to get out of a bad home situation and try to find a place that's going to be safe and healthy to raise their family. It's very, very similar in some ways to those who had to flee the famine. Okay. Now I understand. Cool. So, saying dedicate your adult life to like working against domestic violence, and you said your childhood was a big part of that. Can you go into more details? Yeah, so I grew up in an abusive household. Uh, I had an abusive father, and it wasn't until I was well into my teenage years that my mother left, and of course, I went with my mother. And there were a couple of years where it was like he would live with us and then he wouldn't live with us. So it wasn't even completely and totally cutting the cord there for a while. But I was in it for a long time because we didn't leave when I was like eight or seven. So I had that experience a lot. And then uh, my father was actually killed and my mother got into a second marriage and that one was also abusive. Now I was already an adult and I was seeing it way more from the outside because I didn't live with her anymore and things like that. But I was definitely familiar with this situation. And I knew when I was a kid that one of the things I wanted to do was I was motivated to get out of the situation. And when I became an adult, uh, speak up about it because I um, I have always played sports throughout my life. You know, in high school, I was a basketball player and a baseball player. And as an adult, I've run marathons, half marathons. I obviously doing this hike. I do a lot of hiking. 
I'm on the Tampa Bay GAA club, which are the Irish sports. I've played adult rec basketball, been in flag football leagues. I want to stress the fact that being an abusive man is not manly. Being abusive towards your wife, towards your children, that's not manly. That's not strong. That's actually cowardly. And I want to show that you can be a man who does these traditionally masculine things, lifts weights, hikes, runs marathons, plays sports. Um, You know, I was playing flag football with semi-pro football players and it wasn't tackle football, but you know, we're bumping into each other. Like I'm not the type of person who shies away from physical contact, but there's a difference between physical contact in sports and using abuse as a way to control other people, using violence as a way to control other people. So what I really wanted to show is that there is a difference and that being a survivor of abuse does not mean you are weak. As a matter of fact, it means the exact opposite. So they're going to take advantage of anything that they see, but that doesn't mean that you're weak, that you're not strong. And I figured I'm a pretty good example of that because of how much I do hit the gym and lift weights. I do hike, I do run, I do play these sports. Yes, I definitely hear and see where you're coming from. That's something I always been thinking about, like, how, like, it's more like the how to stop it. It's kind of like the question. Because it's something you can't, I don't think you can really diagnose it because people are different. Absolutely. So everybody goes through a different situation. And I can say that mine being a, you know, six foot four athlete, when I got to a certain age, I was able to fight back. And I know a lot of, especially women aren't necessarily always in that situation where they can fight back. And certainly when I was eight, when I was 10, I wasn't in that situation, but what's, what's hard when you talk about ending it is that so many people don't even realize that what they're experiencing is abuse. And that's one of the things when I talk about raising awareness that I really want people to understand. I know that my mother has dealt with a lot of people who are survivors because she was in that situation and she can try to help and try to explain it to other people. And she's had to tell women sometimes, you don't understand, like you're being abused. And the woman might say, well, he doesn't hit me. And My mom's like, yeah, but he's not letting you have access to your money and you're not allowed to leave without getting permission and you have to, you know, be back by a certain time or you're scared that something's going to happen. It's a matter of trying to let people know, like, you do deserve better than this. And there are things that aren't normal that sometimes we do make normal. So. I don't know, and this might 
sound kind of depressing. I don't think we're ever going to get rid of domestic violence. I don't think we're ever going to get rid of abuse. But what we can do is make more and more people aware of what behaviors are okay and what behaviors aren't okay. And also by saying, coming out and telling somebody that you're in this situation doesn't make you weak. You don't have to be embarrassed to tell somebody to reach out for help. That's huge. And especially with with men who might be like, if you're a teenager and your father's abusing you, you might not want to say that to somebody because it makes you sound weak. It makes you sound like a wimp. And it's just not the case. There's power dynamics in those relationships that even if you are, I was stronger than my father. Like it wasn't a situation where I couldn't fight back. It was that I didn't know if I fought back, if I was going to get in more trouble. So it's having those conversations and letting people know there are ways out of this. There are ways to deal with it. And it's not something that should come with a stigma. It's not your fault. That's definitely something that needs to be repeated. And then I also think it's, I also do agree that we're not going to get rid of the misabuse because it just, there's nothing stopping for somebody from just going down that path without them making that decision, without them constantly making that, consciously making that decision of not to. And then also feel like, well, like with resources, depending on where, where you are in the world or the States, they can either be helpful on this there for sure. Wow. Is that a very good observation? Because I often talk about times that I would have called the police when I was a kid and the police didn't do anything. And you hear stories of different churches and I'm not putting down anybody's religion. I'm not even stating a religion, but you go in and talk to a pastor or somebody like that. And the wife will say that she's being abused and the pastor will say, well, what did you do to make him hit you or something like that? Or people are so dedicated to keeping the family together. And I'm not for breaking up families. Like that's not what I'm saying here, but sometimes we have to say at what point are we spending too much time trying to keep a family together that shouldn't be together anymore? Sometimes they're just bad situations. And by trying to keep them together, it's not good for anybody. It's not good for all of the parties involved. And it is going to be hard because sometimes it's not even that conscious decision that you made. Sometimes and this isn't giving anybody an excuse, but sometimes it's an upbringing, it's a mentality, it's a mental health issue, and it's just not going to disappear because a bunch of people try to raise money. So when you talk about resources, what we really need to do is to educate people 
We need to educate so that women know when they're in an abusive situation. And if they find themselves in an abusive situation, that they know what their local resources might be in any given situation. When I did the fundraising aspect of this, it was for an organization in Pinellas County, Florida called CASA. And they've been around for decades helping survivors of domestic violence. And actually, if you go to a Tampa Bay Rays baseball game, in all of, in all of the restrooms, men and women's restrooms, they have signs for CASA of Pinellas County saying, if you're in an abusive situation, call this number. And I went to a lot of baseball games with my abusive father. Now, I don't know if I would have seen that poster, if I would have thought to write down the number, if I would have thought to call. But nowadays, like when I was a kid, we didn't have phones with cameras in our pockets and I could have just snapped a quick picture of that sign and you never know when little things like that are going to help so it's getting those resources letting people know that the resources exist and very much taking the stigma away from it saying you didn't do anything anything wrong and then like also saying when people ask why didn't you leave, it's kind of hard to pick up and start a new life at any given moment. 100%. The question, why didn't she leave earlier or why doesn't she leave? It's really, really hard. And when the resources are there, maybe she still doesn't leave. But if she knows she can, she's already 50, 60 times safer than she was before because she knows she can get out of it. A lot of times, and I'm not a professional in this, I didn't you know, go to college for it or anything, but I will get asked by people, what would be advice you would give if you knew a friend or a family member was in an abusive relationship? And so many people expect me to say, get out, get out right now. But what I always say is let them know that no matter what decision they make, you have their back and you're going to support them. Because if you say, get out, get out now, or I'm not helping you, maybe they do make the mistake and go back this time, but then they're not going to trust you when they are ready to leave. So my advice is always to just say, Whatever you decide, whenever you're ready, I'll be the first car at your door to drive you to a hotel and I'll pay for that hotel. That's what I would say if a friend of mine, and I have a lot of female friends, if they said that to me, that they were in an abusive situation, I would just let them know that the second they called me and needed me, However far Google Maps tells me their house is, that's how long it will take me to come pick them up and take them somewhere. Yeah. It's a tricky situation. And I also feel like when you said going back to earlier how people made the conscious decision, you said earlier how you responded with the upbringing. People, like children, they were, when they grow up, they're going to emulate what they see as strength and who's, quote-unquote, has like the power and the control. 
100%. And that's one of those reasons that I'm doing this. I'm trying to say that it's, it's not strong to do that. You're not, if you're a boy growing up in an abusive household and you're looking at that man, it is kind of not funny. None of this is funny, but when people will say, how did you avoid going down the same road as your abusive father? And I understand that so many people like my father's father was abusive. Like he learned that from his father. My mother's father had a somewhat abusive father and he didn't take that same path. I could not envision wanting to be like my father. Everything I saw from him (laughs) made me not want to be like him. So when people say, how did you not follow in his footsteps? I say, when when I was growing up, my father was a Yankees fan, so I became a Red Sox fan. Like, I did whatever was the opposite of him because I knew what I didn't want to be when I grew up. Now, I understand not everybody is like that, and sometimes you see these things and then they become normalized. It just happened to work the other way for me. But not normalizing those things I videotaped a lot of my pilgrimage on Ireland's National Famine Way. And I told some stories while I was walking so that it sort of made more of a coherent story. And it was more about raising awareness as well as just doing the walk. And one of the stories that I told came from when I was playing sixth grade basketball. And the coaches had a rule that everybody got the chance to start at least one game and everybody would have to not be a starter for at least one game. And I knew that it was going to come up at some point where I was going to have to have my game where I wasn't going to be the starter. And I was just praying that my father wasn't going to be there because I was afraid I was going to get yelled at for it. And my father was there. And they made the announcement that that was the one game that year I wasn't going to be starting. And I broke down and started crying in the locker room because I didn't know what was going to happen when we left that game. And the coaches treated me like I was being selfish, like I wanted to start. And I was trying to say, like, no, like my father's going to yell at me. And then the coach went up in the stands and tried to explain to my father that they have this rule and blah, 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 blah. And I was, and as I look back on that as an adult, I just want to know what went through that coach's head that he didn't think this is not a proper reaction. Something bad is happening here. And maybe we need to address this more than just addressing the rule that we have. But why is this kid so scared for this insignificant thing to have his father find out about it. And one thing when it comes to ending it, we're never going to end it, but we can all be better at seeing things that just don't make sense. And maybe those home lives aren't good if you're seeing something that doesn't make sense like that.
Yeah. That brings me up to the point where to continue on that, I think it's a lot of times people don't they always suspect the worst. They just probably was like a kid just like, oh no, my parents aren't going to be proud of me because of I'm not doing something. And then they're just like, oh, this is way worse than I could have thought. Right. Sometimes a teacher might pass out the grades and a kid is crying because of the grades and maybe it's because of the grades or maybe it's because they're afraid to go home and show those grades to their parents. Another great point that I made when I was doing these videos was I was talking about how in school I would always do well in school and my teachers always said like he's always answering questions in class when he takes tests he does well on the tests but then when we give him homework he either never finishes it or it's rushed and his grades are suffering because his homework and his projects are not living up to expectations and i just want to create this awareness so that when other adults see that they think when he's in a safe environment he's doing fine but then when we don't see what's happening he's all of a sudden doing shoddy work or he's not studying for these tests or whatever's happening when he's not here isn't good and when he's here he seems to be smart enough so the disconnect that never got put together is sort of one of those things and i'm not complaining like i'm not saying that you know I've healed and I've gotten over it. I don't talk about these things for my own purposes. I'm not mad at anybody. I don't, you know, hold those grudges or whatever. What I want to say is look out for the next kid because there's some kid dealing with the exact same thing I was dealing with when I was that age. And they're dealing with it right now. And some of us might be in the opportunity to see that yeah i think it's like in the states there's a very individualistic mindset so if you're not doing something it's your fault and then when people automatically would go to like oh this kid isn't doing well because they're only doing well in school because they're being watched but then when they're at home they don't have anybody watching them so they're just not gonna they don't have the drive the self-drive to do it and then it reminds me of like something where i was watching about like how parents so like overly competitive for the kids who are in sports and his wrestler or, or like wrestle player the um, athlete they twisted his ankle and he wasn't like he wasn't like worried about the ankle he worried about his dad's reaction to him getting hurt was then right hurting hinder him further in his athletic career and when the coaches was like that's not normal absolutely and i'm glad that that coach picked up on it obviously we've made incredible strides since even I was, you know, in high school or I was in middle school where I think we are seeing more and more that teachers are learning to look out for these things, but it's just the kind of thing that we're never going to be perfect, but we can always be better. Yeah. And when you said that people, you have to tell people that they're being abused, I think it's like, 
the defining what a home and like a marriage and like a family is, but not having something that's uniform is kind of like important because a lot of people either just repeat what they learned when they were younger, like I said earlier, or this is like their first time in a, like a, a relationship and they're just going with what's happening. And then like everybody's relationship is different. So, and, and yeah, I, just, I I get exactly what you're saying. And sometimes it can be as, as simple as seeing your friend in a relationship and she's being, you know, mocked. Like it doesn't even have to be abuse, but he's making fun of her for everything. And obviously all couples like make little jokes and everything, but if he's constantly putting her down and constantly mocking her, and you can say, you know, you deserve to be treated better than that. You deserve somebody who's not going to pick on every little thing that you do in your life. And, you know, maybe it's not an abusive situation, but just know that you don't have to be the butt of somebody's jokes constantly. Yeah. And there's also, if you see... The thing about with like humans, if you see somebody else going through it, then it feels normal, and then you don't you don't have that instinct to like question it. Absolutely, and I think that's a big part of this. Yeah, Ooh, that was heavy. <laughs> well, I try to at some points not make it like that's why I picked something that was kind of fun, like a hike. And I try to do things. My, my one podcast is a theme park travel podcast. So one of the things I did to raise money was I'm afraid of drop rides. So my podcast co-host and I went to Disney's Hollywood Studios, and if we raised a certain amount of money, I would ride Tower of Terror, which is the big drop ride at Disney's Hollywood Studios. So what I'm trying to say is, like, we try to find fun ways to address a heavy topic because if all we're doing is throwing out statistics and all we're doing is talking about a really, really difficult subject that is not comfortable, then nobody's ever going to want to address it. And then we're going to keep having these things sort of go behind closed doors. And if we make it fun, like the topic's not fun, but that doesn't mean we can't have fun. That doesn't mean that we can't raise awareness by riding a theme park ride or doing a hike or whatever anybody likes. That's how you're going to raise awareness. Breast cancer awareness did such a good job of getting people to pay attention. And they did it by ha having charity walks and major league baseball players used pink bats for some games to raise awareness. You do it by having fun because everything can't be serious all the time or nobody's going to want to be a part of it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
So I think I also wanted to make make the note that we aren't just limited to conversations like heterosexual relationships or like um um monogamous relationships. This goes for polyamorous and any other relationship however you identify. Absolutely. I think that is incredibly important because I think a lot of times, especially people in relationships that are, you know, they're members of the L they're members of the LGBTQ plus community or same sex couples. They don't want to tell their families about it at certain points, or maybe they have told their families and their families know they're not in what might be considered 20, 30 years ago, a traditional relationship. So maybe their family is trying to understand it, but you're so used to defending your relationship because the general idea of your relationship is under attack. That if you say you, maybe you're a gay man in a relationship with another gay man and your family doesn't know how to feel about it. Maybe they're trying to be supportive of it, but when you tell them this is happening, they all of a sudden just associate it with the type of relationship you're having and not with abuse. I think one way this happens a lot are in interracial relationships where maybe there is a black man who's with a white woman and she's being abused, but she doesn't want to go to her family members who might overreact and think about the man more than thinking about making her safe, or you're afraid to call the police because maybe what he did crossed a line, but maybe it wasn't, you don't know if you want to completely sever that relationship and you don't want to call the police especially here in the United States with some of the things that are happening. So it can make really difficult decisions. I would say even more for relationships that weren't considered typical or traditional just a couple decades ago that are completely normal and should be accepted by everybody, but they're not yet. So, yeah, I 100% agree. The trans community deals with just enormous amounts of abuse. And it's hard when, you know, this is kind of a side tangent, but I recently watched that Netflix series about Jeffrey Dahmer. And Jeffrey Dahmer was a gay man. And so many of his victims, we're not only coming from the gay community, but we're also people of color. He had a lot of black and brown and Asian victims. And the people who were calling because he lived in a black neighborhood that had a lot of crime, they were calling and saying something isn't right, but the police didn't want to come to those areas and they didn't want to treat those areas. And that's so similar to this situation where 
the cops don't go to some of these communities. And when they go, sometimes they're just there to over police, to arrest and to not deal with the situations the same way they would if you call in a suburban community where maybe you do have a better chance of getting a good reaction. So all of those things, all of that intersectionality plays into domestic violence situations because just like issues of different types of relationships, members of the LGBTQ plus community, when you talk about racial issues, when you talk about this is on a large part, a gender issue. It's all about power and control. That's why kids end up being abused so much because the parents, the adults have the power and the kids don't. So we have a lot of problems in this society and I tried to tackle one of them from my little part of the world, but there are a lot of issues and they do often mingle and come together. I'm also on the autism spectrum and people who are on the autism spectrum, people who have other types of disabilities or are neurodiverse, they are more likely to end up in abusive situations as well. So there are so many aspects to this, class, race, gender, gender identification, sexual orientation, it affects everybody. So everybody can be a victim and everybody unfortunately can also probably be a perpetrator depending on the situation. Yeah. I was also going to tie that to, um, I was like, I think like last year recently watched a play about domestic violence. That was kind of depressing, but my um, I was there, and I was like, one day I came up was like the cop, the like you said, like calling the police, but then there's like a black person, and you just like, would you become, would you make them another statistic in a different category? And then I was thinking about like the complicated emotions you might have for abusers, whether they're a partner or a parent or a friend, of like you still love them, but you're in that your life is in constant danger and constant chaos. Yeah, when my father died, I was 19 years old, and it was such a weird feeling because part of me felt safe now. I knew that he wasn't going to be able to do anything to me anymore, but it was also a situation where you feel awkward going to the funeral and knowing that you have to feel sad. And you do have a connection to a parent, even an awful parent. Like, it's just going to happen. You find so many times where people have parents who, like, abandoned them before they were even born, and they still want to find that parent and have a relationship with them. So it was. it's a weird feeling sometimes. My mother does not hate my father because she understands that there were probably things wrong with him. She just wanted to get out of the situation. She's actually way more understanding about it than, than I am in some ways, but it's not about hate or it shouldn't be about 
hate like you're going to have relationships with these people if you didn't care about them you never would have been in this situation in the first place so it does create a lot of problems and there are a lot of times that i imagine a woman doesn't want to ruin the guy's life she just wants to get out of the situation and hopefully that can happen more times than not there were times that we had to testify in court that my father didn't do abusive things because if we testified against him, he'd go to jail. And that was how we were making enough money to survive. Like we wouldn't have been able to survive if we would have told the truth. I'm, I'm assuming the statute of limitations for perjury in a small trial like that <laughs> are passed at this point, but you get put in a whole bunch of different situations. And a lot of times you're in that situation because you do care for the person, but sometimes you have to put your safety, the safety of your family ahead of the care that you do have for somebody else, because if they really do care and I'm not somebody who's like, Oh, he's going to change, but you'll see tangible differences that he'll make when he's not around you. If he's only doing it to try to get you back, then probably that's not a great sign. But if you don't see him for years and he did seem to take the message, like the end goal is for everybody to have the safest and happiest life possible. So that's all we want. Yeah. Because watching that play, that was the, the last stuff I just think about because up in a typical single parent household with like typically normal things are pretty chill so a lot of the stuff i don't really think i'm just more of a way my mom raised me like more headstrong like protect yourself at all times like very because my grandma got abused but that was before i was born so that's so what my mom's seen she pretty much reacted and she became like okay being more protective of everything and sometimes you hope that seeing that leads to not wanting to be in that situation yeah. but sometimes like your mom is lucky because she took the right lessons from that but sometimes you see that and you just end up making it feel normal like you said yeah and it very much shouldn't be that's the goal i think when i say raising awareness that's one of the things i really want because a lot of times people be in like quote unquote boring relationships and then try to and then they leave those for something that's more chaotic because they feel like that's where more passion and more you're fighting for love. Where really you're just arguing and yelling and getting nothing done. My my father used to be so jealous. Like if my mother went to the grocery store and it took her an hour and a half instead of an hour or whatever, he would get so mad. And if she came back late and the jealousy was just all over the place. And now people who listen to my one podcast, cause I'm going to tell them to listen to this one. And they're going to think it's funny because like, I have so many female friends now and the vast majority, probably because of growing up 
with an abusive father. I don't have as many male friends because some of those power dynamics and things like that. I do have some really good male friends, but I don't have as many male friends as I have female friends. And my wife, like I ran, I ran a 10 mile race with one of my friends who was a female earlier this year. And it was out of town and I stayed in a hotel with one of my other female friends and my wife was just like, oh, that's cool. And being in a relationship where you don't have that jealousy and you're not, it feels weird at some times. You're almost like, wait a minute, why isn't she being more controlling. Why isn't she just like, I can't even process it sometimes. So you have this healthy relationship, which is how it should be because you should be able to have male friends, female friends, as long as everybody's being honest with everybody else. I mean, you talk about polyamorous relationships and I don't really know very much about that, but as long as everybody's being upfront and honest about what is to be expected. I think that's the important key, the honesty and, but just seeing a relationship that's not jealous, which is how relationships are supposed to be, feels so weird as an adult because of what I saw as a kid. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. It's a lot of things. Just like a lot, just, a lot of, like like I said earlier, a lot of mixed emotions, and then you're just like, you know, you subconsciously try to have to unlearn things. It was like, oh, this isn't what usually what a relationship looks like. And some people would say that like my relationship with my wife is too chill, like it's not, not you know, like you said, exciting and and all that stuff. But when you grew up in an abusive household, not exciting is awesome. <laughs> like. It is such a relief to say, you know, I'm going to go hang out with X, Y, and Z female friend and not have any sort of backlash about it. And that feels comfortable. And then when you're trusted like that, you want to earn that trust. Like, I think that's something that is completely and totally foreign to a lot of abusers like if you push me i'll resist but if you show that trust if you show that love that's beyond just obsessing over somebody that's when you start getting into the real stuff and having a chill relationship after go growing up in an abusive relationship is the world like i'm not going to be bored by a relationship i can promise you that (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's peaceful and you don't have to it's not like a temporary peace it's just like oh this is this is normal this is calming and you had to unlearn all the um the self of the survival tactics or the um what you call it blinking right now but like Self-defense mechanisms, right. Absolutely. 
because you can't walk around with all that tension because you're just gonna it's gonna manifest itself in different ways and you're gonna be hurt. And it did. And you know, you're still unlearning it and you're still dealing with it as an adult. There are things that I absolutely still can't do as an adult, even after healing, after trying to deal with things, there are some things that are just too uncomfortable for me. One of them is our household finances. If the finances were my responsibility, we would not spend anything and (laughs) like we'd be saving money all the time and it wouldn't be, and I would be like controlling about it. So I have had to say to my wife, like, I don't mean to be rude, but can we make finances your responsibility? Because right now it's too much of a stressor for me. And I don't want to get into fights about finance because I've seen that happen before. So my checks are going to go into our direct deposit and you do with my money what you think is best for all of us, you know, and that's just how it works. And you have to have those conversations. And there are things that I will probably never be comfortable doing that a lot of people can, but there are other things that you know, I think that I'm a better person having gone through what I've gone through. Not that it made me better, but that I strengthened myself like exercising to become a better person despite what happened to me, not because of what happened to me. Yeah. And I think the thing I'm getting is that it's not, it's not that, it's not the process that you do it, you get out, it's over. It's something that's continuous. Right. And it is why I try to do things like walk Ireland's national famine way to raise money and awareness in the fight against domestic violence. And I have things planned for a couple of years in the future. I want to keep doing stuff like this to keep bringing attention to it. And that's one of my ways of dealing with it because I was powerless for 15, 16 years in this situation. And that's how I can take back my power. That's how I can take over a little bit of control of the situation. Yes, if you become a control freak because of it, that's bad. But if you say, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to make sure that I turn this negative energy into positive energy, then I think that is the healthiest possible way to deal with it. Yeah. I was just thinking about like how some people could come out of it, and they're not abusers, but they look the worst in people. And so that affects relationships that could be healthy or could prosper because they're just waiting for okay well i'm just waiting for it to just turn sour to turn left yeah i had a situation that wasn't even an abuse situation fairly recently a couple years ago i had he was a two best men at my wedding and one of them just did something completely awful and it was a bad mental health time for me for a while because of it. 
And it just turned out that this person that I really trusted for so many years, like 20 years, turned out to be a bad person and didn't have my back. And I swore at that moment we had just moved to a new part of the country. And I was like, what I have to do in my mind when I meet new people is specifically tell myself I am not going to hold that against them. I'm not going to be able to not think of it. Forgiving, healing, all that stuff doesn't mean that you forget. It means you you consciously say to yourself, I am not going to hold this person accountable for what somebody else did. And if I get hurt again, I'm not going to let that person's actions turn me into somebody who's not going to get the most out of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any things I'll forget mention, question, ask, anything? No, it's it's your podcast, and I like the directions that you take it. You ask a lot of great questions, and as somebody, you know, like I said, I host two podcasts, and you do. I really have such a great time sort of sitting back and letting somebody else ask the questions. And I love to see how other people do the craft. And I'm really impressed by anybody who says, I'm going to get myself on a mic and I'm going to start this podcast and I'm going to put some good into this world because I really think it is such a great medium and we're getting to hear from so many voices we wouldn't have gotten to hear from in the past. Like I said, I worked, I've worked in radio for 25 years and I don't know if, you know, you can hear my voice and I have that traditional kind of voice that would go on radio and things like that. But somebody with an accent like yours, like you might not be able to get on the local radio station, but you can get on a podcast and you can share what you're doing and what's important to you and share these great stories and build an audience and it's just really important and it's really great and i absolutely appreciate you having me on the show oh thanks and i want to just make the note that when you say female you, you mean you mean woman like you being respectful because some people that's a weird conversation is still being held with female and woman and what to say i just want to make sure that i make that note I am talking about people who identify as a female or identify as a woman. I am speaking of, I want to make this 100% clear. If I ever mess up in my language, it is not because I am not accepting of anyone. I have, um, I, I totally try my best. I have friends who are, you know, they, their pronouns. And sometimes I slip up and all you can do is just try to do better the next time. And I just want to make sure that everybody is comfortable at home. That's my fight against domestic violence. That's what I mean. I want everybody to be comfortable regardless of your gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, your race, your ethnicity, your national origin, your religion. I want everybody 
to be safe. And I understand where those power dynamics come into play. And I understand as a middle-aged white man, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, but I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to make sure. So I just let everybody know. <laughs> Friends gave me a whole speech about that. I was like, I get it. I I know that. So I so I went to Ireland and I saw things because I am Irish. My mother's side of the family is basically a hundred percent Irish, and knowing where everybody came over on the boat and everything like that. So I had heard a lot of stories about what it was like over there. And there was times during the British occupation and Northern Ireland still being part of the United Kingdom and things like that. And you hear about those stories and you know that in your past there were these uncomfortable things or there were situations where your people were the marginalized group in a situation and then going over there and seeing some of these things, even though it's a lot better now than it was 25 years ago, seeing some of these things and saying like, okay, like I wasn't, I wasn't always in a spot of privilege. My people weren't always in this spot of privilege. So I do have to try to understand that. And, and it's about empathy, not about trying to play like, oppression gymnastics or whatever like where you're trying to say well my side also had it's trying to say okay I can relate to other people and their struggles now more because I can see what happens when they're trying to make me feel uncomfortable when somebody's trying to make me feel uncomfortable I can now empathize more with somebody else who's in a similar situation yeah it's um we're all just trying to do our best, I think. And yeah. let's hope that um, if I ever make a mistake, I'm sorry and I'm willing to listen and, and find out why I made that mistake. Cool. I have one more question, then we get to the last couple of questions. So um, I just wanted to make a note that sometimes, like you said earlier, the conflict we all emotions. I was just thinking about like cultural and like religious, like how somewhat of relationships and like power dynamics on there how they seem traditional for that and then somebody might not want to break it because of again like family stigma and stuff like that but i just want to say i'd rather somebody break it than being in a situation where they're not safe well i'm pretty famously i don't know i'm sure people have figured it out by now talking about ireland this much for example being catholic and catholics are not okay with divorce however catholics don't don't like divorce but we have annulments which are the situation where if you got into a relationship if you, you entered into a marriage under false pretenses you can get that marriage annulled and abuse is 100 percent one of the reasons that you can get a marriage annulled However, you know, my mother was divorced from my father, but didn't get remarried again until he passed because it wouldn't have been acknowledged in the church. And I'm very uh, proud of my 
Catholic heritage and my Catholic religion. It's one of the reasons that I picked Ireland as the place to do this pilgrimage. I know that in some situations, um, you know, people's religions and can be uh, a source of negative. And I didn't have that experience, but I can't speak for people who have had that experience. And um, I know that one of the places that I always did feel safe was with uh, people who were of the same religion as me. And maybe that's because my father wasn't. So it became another way to sort of separate myself from him. But all these dynamics are important to remember. And there are some churches of all denominations that are really, really good about these things. And there are some churches of all denominations who are really, really bad at these things. And I don't think it matters particularly what your religion, just finding the right people in that religion that are a big thing. Yes. And on that note, we can go to the last three questions, make it a little cheerful. So what would, what would your origin story be? How would you like to re represent it? And what would you name it? What would my origin story be? So I feel like with the conversation that we're having now, my origin story kind of lies in trying to survive this abuse. Like the first time I can remember the first time I realized that I was growing up in an abusive household. Like we talk about it being normalized and you just thinking it's regular and this is how everybody acts. And I remember exactly the first night that I realized that my family wasn't normal and I was dealing with an abusive situation. And that was probably my origin story. That was probably where I decided more than any other moment in my life, how I wanted the rest of my life to go forward. Now, what would I name it is interesting because I'm thinking of writing a book about my pilgrimage. And I've been throwing around, you know, I've been putting down a couple chapters on Microsoft Word. And when I first started on that first trail, the very first day, and I was walking, I wasn't even at the particular trail yet. Like it was still technically the trail, but I was on the side of the road. It was still a public road. And a guy came walking past me and asked me why I had this huge pack on my back and everything. And I told him what I was doing. And he said, ah, good man. Now, good man is just an expression that people use in Ireland. They'll say it over and over again a lot. But I was thinking about growing up in my situation and knowing what it was like to grow up seeing a bad man. And if there was any compliment that somebody could give me as an adult, just saying something like good man was really, really emotional for me 
knowing what I was doing, even though I also know it's just a throwaway term over there. So I think I would call it good man. Nice. And that note, uh, thank you for joining the podcast. This was an absolute blast. I know that sometimes I end up talking about depressing Mm. topics, but I really, really enjoyed being on with you. Thank you so much for having me. And where can anybody find you? Any links you want to drop? Yeah, if anybody likes to listen to podcasts, which I imagine you do if you're listening to this one, if you care about theme parks and especially Disney and Universal, if that's something that excites you, I have a podcast called Tall Guy Talks Travel with Rick Doherty. We're on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube. Always enjoy having more people listen. We always try to do good things while also having fun which is something that I think you can relate to if you're enjoying this podcast. And I'm on Twitter at Rick underscore ear. That's a long story why that name, but at Rick underscore ear on Twitter, if you want to follow me and I'd really appreciate it. Nice. That brings another episode of the last get podcast to a close. Again, you can find more information about Rick Darkity by clicking the link in the description below. For next week, I have Tommy Breedlove to speak about leadership. Hope you're doing a nice day. I hope to see you there.